Hi, my name is Steve Wishart and I'm the IB World Schools Manager for Australasia at the International Baccalaureate. In part one of this episode, on how assessment can emphasise the importance of global context and international mindedness. IB leaders discuss the importance of feedback across primary, middle and high school settings and how this can be achieved with a more differentiated learning approach. We are pleased to have with us today Darlene Fisher, host of our leadership podcast series and panellist Jasmine Madhani, head of Jabnami Nasi International School, Kevin House, Director of the Institute for Learning and Research at Dulwich College International, and Sita Murthy, Director of Education at Silver Oaks International Schools. Hello, my name is Kevin House. Um, I'm Director of Learning Research with the Dulwich College International Group of Schools. We have schools from Korea and China, Myanmar, and in Singapore. Hello, I'm Jasmine Madane, head of school at Jamnabai Narsi International School, Mumbai. It's a three-program IB uh, World School. I also contribute as a workshop leader, as well as the IBN member for synchronized visits. Hey, hello, I'm Sita Murthy. I'm the director of education of uh, Silver Oaks International Schools in, in Hyderabad, Bangalore, and Vishakhapatnam, all three in the southern part of India. I'm also an IB workshop leader for the PYP programs, and I do visits too. Thank you so much to the three of you for joining us today. My name is Darlene Fisher, and I'm the moderator of this series of IB leadership podcasts. Today's uh, podcast is initial. The first part is focusing on assessment and trying to have a look at what are some of the impacts that have and the experiences that have come out of this crisis on assessment within schools. There'll be the second part of this podcast will be looking at the bigger picture and assessment to do primarily with universities entrance and perhaps the bigger picture of questioning uh, assessment in that way. But this first half we're focusing on assessment in schools. So that first experience uh, when your teachers were pushed into remote learning so quickly and suddenly, what are some of the learnings that came out perhaps? If we start with the things that they had to stop doing or couldn't continue that didn't work before. Someone like to start with that. So what they need to stop learning, I, I would say that uh, if I look at uh, the way it went uh, immediately, it came on teachers' faces that, okay, remote learning, and then now what else we need to do? They had to think a little differently in terms of uh, what will be the end goal for uh, how do I know uh, my students have learned even in the remote situation. So the activities, what I could see they were doing, and especially in my primary school, they started looking at how do we adapt now that into the remote learning and whether the same impact they will get as uh, audience responding uh, to those activities. One of the examples which I could share uh, from our uh, PYP grade 5 class. In March, when lockdown happened, they had to do the assessments, they had to go through the exhibition. What uh, students uh, then remotely 
working with teachers on a video conferencing platform to look at uh, their big ideas and then individually they worked uh, on their pieces and then they came forward to uh, present it to uh, the uh, other students and the parents. So teachers, I would say, they had to quickly turn their thinking hats and look at how now we will see in remotely assessing those uh, fifth graders or fourth graders or even in the middle school for that. Evan? Yeah, I think we found obviously based on the phase in which children were in, the age range, obviously it created a very different set of challenges for the teachers. I think if you look at the, in the, in the earlier years, Teachers were thinking, well, obviously a lot of what I do in terms of um, looking at assessment of learning progress was to do with observation and conversation with children. Um, and sometimes they found that rather difficult because obviously the kids, if they're on screen, find it difficult to focus. Um, so they started to uh, engage with parents to try and encourage parents and give parents a bit of a steer on how to engage with their child so they could observe what the parents were doing with the child around a particular task and then giving feedback um, through that way. With the older kids, uh, I think there was a tendency to, for teachers to worry in that they were, if you think about particularly in the older years in high school around summative assessment and the fixation, I suppose, for want of a better term, on benchmarking. Obviously, in our schools run IGCSE and in that preparation, inevitably it creates a, a knock-on effect into diploma as well, where there's a, a lot of emphasis on perhaps the more summative aspects of the assessment than there is on the internal aspects. And I think over time they started to realise that actually assessment in learning or assessment with learning is in a sense as important or if not more important in these kind of contexts than assessment of learning or assessment as learning. There was a significant change, an interesting point you've made that parents were brought in to help support the assessment of the younger ones in the sense that the parents are become, becoming involved so that teachers could observe more. I think this is a theme that's running through a lot of the impact of COVID on schools is increasing connection of parents with education. See, so what about your school? What are some of the things that teachers were doing, not doing, changing? First thing not doing is they realize that children can be independent, that they can be responsible, that they don't have to be there all the time for children. All they have to do is create the right kind of uh, assessment challenges for children to take on. That's the first thing. But what we started doing is, whether in PYP or MYP or in a, you know, DP1 that we just started or in other national boards that we run, is a lot of uh, democracy in assessment. So what do I mean by democracy is that we would start defining the goals of any topic that we would begin with or a unit of inquiry, define the goals. And uh, during the course of the unit, we would keep asking the students that, you know, we don't want to do formative assessment, but we want you to tell us what you have learned. We want you to tell us how you learned it. And we want you to tell us how you want to present it and when you want to present it. So I have this example from a second grader who says, ma'am, I want to be tested in um, 
data representation. So I said, okay, then the teacher says, uh, why, what? And ma'am, I learned how to represent data in a bar graph, okay? So then we ask, okay, what should we ask you? What are the questions we should ask you? Then he says, okay, you asked me to find out how many people like apples, how many people like mangoes, how many people like bananas, and then I, I will represent it in pie, pie chart as well as bar graph. Actually, we didn't need to do any assessment further, if you, if you notice yeah. what, I, what I mean to say. So that was an interesting um, experience for us. And we did the same thing in the older classes also. We said, these are the goals, because as if you, uh, if I, I can refer to the learner priorities in the IB, enduring knowledge, important to know, worth being familiar, okay? All these learner priorities, we would, we would attach it to the goals. And we would familiarize the students that this is something we want you to know. This is something that, which is important for you to know. And this is enduring knowledge because even when you go to university, this knowledge will come of use to you. So now you decide and tell us how much time are you going to spend in each of these areas. And in this topic, so we, uh, I think I shared this with you last time also, the complexity scale. Okay, one more assessment that we did was we gave a complexity scale and we asked them, in this topic, which of them is the most complex idea? Which of them is something that you could relate to even without the teacher explaining? And which of them you felt that it's a cakewalk, you know what to do there? Okay, so assessment as learning is something we did through the strategy called complexity scale, which we have taken from Project Zero of Harvard University. What I understood is that when you define the goals, clarify expectations, also create the path, true constructivism is something that you can see in students. And that's what we have seen. It's such an inspiring example, Cesar, uh, of, of what's been happening in your school. Do you think this is a, a direct result? Is this a silver lining to the cloud of COVID that your teachers have been forced to really think, rethink so deeply about assessment? Yeah, I think so, because first thing uh, I, I would say, because they're alone at home and attending the online school has become their only entertainment, okay? There is a lot of interest, lot of readiness, lot of self-responsibility that they're exhibiting, whether it's a four-year-old or an 18-year-old. They're actually looking forward for classes because this is the only socializing that they're getting to have. Um, Jasmine, I wanted to come back to something you said, not, not today, but previously about your exams being redefined. As yes. If you yes. explain that a little. Yes, I would definitely uh, say that we had to redefine exam in the sense that for especially for uh, the DP students, uh, because uh, eventually they will be sitting for the exam in 2021. So what we need to then relook at that, how are we going to assess them? I would say, uh, I would define this experience as uh, more students taking ownership of learning. And that is where uh, our baseline was when we were designing those assessments in the upper grade, that uh, how are you going to be prepared for, say, for example, for your uh, language paper? Uh, so they took ownership.
uh, we had to look at the criterion reference, whatever uh, the assessments were, and then we designed those assessments based on that. Um, for especially for our semester exam, uh, for upper grade, we had to go with uh, exam.net, what we used, where uh, teachers could remotely monitor these children uh, doing uh, their exam papers. At the same time, we also gave them the responsibility uh, saying that how are you going to demonstrate your learning uh, through this so yes we have uh, these uh, you know platforms to take the exams uh, but at the same time uh, you need to take ownership of your learning and uh, not just the numbers focus was on that uh, the learning bit then actually getting the numbers we had to work a bit around that go through our uh, our uh, students body in terms of explaining what we need uh, from them and uh, listening to them that what they feel in isolation how they are going to cope up with those assessments yeah that is a part of a theme that's coming again through all of the series, yeah. isn't it? that increasing agency and responsibility of students, yeah. which we'll explore in more detail later. Yeah. Kevin, I'm wondering what, what's come through from your groups of schools in, as, as far as assessments concerned? I think increased opportunities to promote peer-to-peer. CETA's phrase of democratising is a, is a very nice one. I, I will use it lavishly um, I think it, it on time in time is something that also came to mind instead of teachers waiting to quite a long way down into a unit of work to do some kind of even if not summative even if it is formative but it's it's rather grand in that it's trying to cover a lot of ground to create efficiencies perhaps in a face-to-face -face classroom environment what was happening here was that there was a lot more granular um, on time in time feedback so kids would have a task broken up into composite pieces and get more feedback um, at that moment you know really within a 24-hour turnaround which of course normally if you're assessing larger bodies of learning that that can't happen and then also the tools i think it's nice i think a lot of teachers started to enjoy doing voice recorded feedback video recorded feedback and posting that and they felt that there was much more of a, a relational thing taking place when they were giving kids feedback like that rather than even written comments or and it obviously moved things a lot away from, from grading there's a chap called uh, harry fletcher wood who's done a really nice little volume on um, formative assessment who talks about lots of strategies to use in that kind of space and I think teachers drew on that work quite a lot and I think it also raised the question around trust you know some teachers I think found it challenging to want to trust to the agencies of students to be um, forthcoming with uh, an honest reflection on where they are with their learning because I guess you know the, the world in which we've we've grown up and I'll probably talk more about that later around the, the summative credentialing, has created a world in which we've taken the agency away because you have to go and do a performative thing in an exam room. And you've got no real ownership over that. And it's, a you know, that pass and fail mentality, I think it's embedded in some teachers' practice as well, inevitably, because they're part of that system. So to actually, and I think beneath that is a trust issue. 
it's about saying, well, can we trust kids? And then more importantly, parent to school issue, can we trust teachers? And so it's trying to make the whole community think a lot more deeply about well, what does trust mean in the, in the space of creating either assessment or evidence of learning and, and how do you trust it? It's a, a huge move, isn't it? To recognize the importance of trust in the idea and concept of giving students input and responsibility for some of their learning their own learning and the learning of their peers and and where that fits with teachers and parents i was really interested to to hear firstly you were talking about the video feedback um for teachers i guess it's how did that come about and is is that something that you think that might continue into the future we well we're three six five schools um and so there's the, that functionality in Teams where you could either do a voice recording or just video. And some teachers just liked, particularly with perhaps younger age kids, they just liked to do a fun feedback where they probably even create an impromptu environment and pretend that they're out in the jungle or something when actually they're in their uh, lockdown <laughs> spare bedroom or whatever it is. And just having a bit of fun with it because, you know, in trying to give authentic feedback to kids, you've also got to try and, in a sense, through this medium, try and keep them focused. Um, and so trying to make it, to some degree, a bit of edutainment is not a bad thing. So. Yeah. I guess it leads us into the, the last question for this section of the podcast on assessment, and that is, what out of those wonderful ideas that have been thrust upon us as uh, educators, do you think you'll be able to and want to, and teachers will want to take into the future? Uh, whatever the new normal looks like. What are some of those areas that you would like to continue? Jasmine? I, I would say uh, definitely what uh, point Sita had made about independent learners. Uh, so we would like to take this forward more uh, that uh, now we know uh, as uh, educators, as teachers, I would say the staff knows very well that uh, this is the capability of my student. Then why to, you know, trap them into uh, the uh, given situation even after, uh, you know, when we welcome them in face-to-face -face, uh, classes so leave that uh, room um, especially in the traditional setup you don't see uh, teachers giving so much responsibility to a student now we know students can independently work so that would be one of the takeaway and you do the collaborative work uh, how even in the remote situation students can collaboratively coming together whether it is uh, for one learning goal or uh, you know a project so these are the two main points i would say teachers will continue i can see that yeah in my school yeah so what uh, Kevin said earlier, trust. So we have been uh, experimenting a lot on the culture of trust, largely in the senior classes. So where there is a pen paper test, we stopped having invigilators with a clear announcement saying that this is for you. You are writing it for yourself. It's your future. We don't want to supervise or monitor you while you're writing your test. We brought that into the online assessments also now. So what we did for a particular pen paper test in April, we asked them to write, we gave the question paper, we asked them to write it on their own, okay? 
and asked them to mail it to us and then we gave them the key so when they 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 self evaluated their answer sheets with the key that we have given them it was so nice so heartwarming to see that they were very clear about where they went wrong where they went right we continued with that practice in april now in may june july august now in september we just did our trimesters so that's one experience where teachers began to believe you know there's a lot of mindset that you have to you have to fight with not the process anybody can create a philosophy and process but to defeat the mindset the conviction you know the conventional belief system that i have to monitor a student while he is writing a test is something we need to grow out of we can grow out of it only when 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 we clarify to the student you are doing this for your sake not for your parents not for the school not for me you're doing it for your sake so that is one culture of trust that we are going to continue with we experimented it before but somehow lost track of it but thanks to online we brought it back again but i'll i'll tell you one more thing that we we recognized in this darling there is something called propositional knowledge i mean i keep quoting ken robinson i don't know why because i read a lot of his books probably in his book latest book you your your child and your school he talks about something called propositional knowledge which is knowing that you know that bunch of facts those theories those definitions the principles which a child should know you have to know newton's laws means you have to know it okay that part that test is something that can go into written but the application of it is where you you would actually want to see the child giving a teen number of examples from different parts of the so for this what we created i i i have to share this so just give me a minute so we introduced them to taxonomy each part of the taxonomy is showing that this is the first level knowledge this is what you know about the newton's laws second level third level fourth level now from the unit in grade 10 we tried this we asked them to make question paper we didn't ask them to make to give answers we asked them to make a question paper okay for each level of taxonomy and it has to match with that anal anal analysis and sizing and everything it has to match with that and then they have to together answer it in breakout sessions in smaller groups and they have to debate on it so while that is one part of it the other part what we did was we framed some questions on analyzing and synthesizing and we asked him to write the answers and then we said now justify your answer why you think this answer is the right answer for this question justify debate so the teachers acted as as you know public prosecutors said no i don't think this word is suitable to this question okay all this was a meaningful engagement in learning for me assessment is not to check and know how much he knows how a student is deeply engaged and involved in understanding the deeper concepts and different layers of the learning so i think this is what we'll continue doing even now that we had a lot of time online you know to be honest we have a lot of time we are able to use all these experiments make our notes and develop our design models to to continue with it so i think this is one good opportunity definitely another silver lining kevin what about in your schools yeah it's it's interesting listening to colleagues it's got me thinking um about the idea that um 
really we, we are in a world where largely we try and evaluate the accumulation of knowledge in a quite a narrow field. I mean, you know, there's an encyclopedic range of classic subject disciplines, but still that knowledge is stacked in content blocks, which is relatively narrow, it's quite formal. Um, and arguably in the current situation and the, the people like Robinson and others have been saying for a long time, what we actually need is demonstrations of learning, not, not a performative act that shows your accumulation of knowledge, but a demonstration of your learning. And what does that, what's the difference? What does that look like? I think it's about the application of that knowledge. So it's how do you apply it? And then also it's how do you make conceptual transfer? So how do you take pieces of disciplinary knowledge and transfer them into other environments or connect them with other pieces and therefore create a new conceptual awareness or understanding? That's a very sophisticated thing. I think it's far more sophisticated than, than many of the exam regimes allow us to do. And uh, I think in context of our own schools, it made us reconsider, well, what do we accumulate and how do we accumulate in terms of data to get a good picture of the student's progress? Not necessarily just for us as the adults, but for the student themselves in a way that resonates with them, that isn't just uh, a kind of deficit model of pass or fail in class rankings or whatever it may be. So in a, in a, in a way that resonates with them and gives them, I think, hope, because education has to be about hope. I think one of the things I have a real problem with with some of the assistant assessment regimes we've evolved is they stamp on hope. And of course, part of our job as educators is to build into to children their role as a citizen is to have hope. Uh, times like this is particularly important. So I think, how do we accumulate data? How do we evaluate that data? What data is it? And one of the other things that came up was around engagement. Using these tools that we're now using, a lot of teachers were saying, wow, um, this creates some really interesting environments where we need to try and we need to try and evaluate engagement. How, how do we, you know, when I'm in a class with my kids, I can kind of rove around the room and I can have a good feel for what engagement looks like. This kind of puts it into stark relief in that if someone's got three or four tabs of a browser and they're flipping between them or they've got a number of devices, are they engaged? Are they not engaged? It's a far more sophisticated problem, but also are there tools out there that could help you track engagement better? Well, there's, a, there's certainly a variety of ideas that have come through from the three of you. Thank you so much for the wealth of inspiring ideas and, and experiences. There's certainly a, the challenges of COVID have provided some wonderful ideas to take forward. And I guess that the length of time we've been dealing with it has provided uh, that ongoing uh, potential for really building a trust and an understanding of a new system and structure and changing beliefs that you were talking about. So it's so important to help change those beliefs in order to get things uh, different. I'd like to thank our panelists for sharing your insights on the importance of impacts of assessment on schools. Stay tuned for part two of this episode as our focus turns to creating space for innovations in assessment to better serve the needs of students.